Welcome to the Militant Grind podcast. Today, I have Dr. Ravi Iyer. He is a physician, scientist, author, inventor with multiple patents on human and veterinary medicines and devices. He's also an entrepreneur and an internet inspirational speaker. Dr. Iyer, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. So it's like you have a lot going on, you know, as one would say. So I do want to ask you, like, how does your background and how does all of this tie in together? Well, the the way it ties in is I have only one gift, and that is I, I empower people. Mm-hmm. And I use a lot of talents in the service of that one gift. Um, I am trained as a physician. I... I am eloquent in my language, my power of linguistics, um, able to use the power of speech and and eloquence to move people. I am skilled as a scientist, so I have the knowledge in the background. Um, so I acquired all these skills over 40 years, but they all are always directed to a single purpose, and that is to our people. And I do that in my work as a physician. But mm-hmm. uh, but um, the essence of it is always empowerment at all times. Right. And how did you come up to that conclusion? Because I did read that you were born in Mumbai and uh, you're from India. Then you, uh, you went to school out there, came to America, went to Harvard, right? Yeah. So, go ahead. When I was young, uh, when I was a teenager, I discovered that I was able to calm my calm people down. Around, see, when you're a teenager, everything is very dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. All highs and lows, and I found that I had an instinctive ability to be a space where the people around me would uh, be able to take a step back from the reality of their life and take the big picture. And I found that I instinctively had that ability. And uh, then it became a natural part of my being. And I realized that that is my real gift. My gift is to be able to calm people down. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I found that they were able to take the best decisions for themselves or for the people around them. And in such a way, be empowered. And then it naturally extended. When I was just barely 10 or 11 years old, I decided I, I the field I wanted to do was being a physician because I felt that instinctively I'll be able to bring this gift out. And it has never changed ever since, uh, mm-hmm. all through my life. So it was easy moving forward from there. Right. I, I was lucky. I mean, like, not everyone gets to. Uh, understand what is their core gift early on. I was lucky that I was able to get it when I was just 14 or 15 years old. And uh, from then on, it was just a matter of going step by step. Right. Right. Yeah, wow. yeah that's a, that's true. A lot of people don't know what their gift is at such a young age. But it's a good thing that you, you figured it out. So at that time, you said, okay, I want to help people. I can calm people down. I'm going to become a physician. Yeah, I found that as 
instinctive. And then from then on, uh, as long as I uh, had that gift in mind while I was mm -hmm. doing something, even the hardest and the toughest things did not matter that much because the fact that I was going through that grind uh, or the rough spots for the purpose of actually manifesting my gift gave me the necessary willpower, the resilience, the necessary staying power to get through the tough spots of life. Right. For example, when I was in medical school, I had gone to medical school. My medical school was overrun by gangs. So the dorm was taken over by groups of criminal elements. Mm -hmm. So it was a medical school, but the dorms was entirely uh, in the grip of gang structure. Mm -hmm. And uh, on my first day in medical school, I had a person knock my door and there was the senior from several batches, uh, senior to me with a shoebox. And he said, hey, Ayer, uh, put this uh, under your bed. Uh, I said, what, what's it, boss? A bunch of country-made bombs, you know, the ones that impact when you throw and uh, when they'll explode when you when you on impact, so mm -hmm. they're pretty unstable. And he said, "You push put this under your bed because my name is on the police roster, so my room can be searched on. They can do a surprise raid and search my room, and I don't want to be caught. So you put the these under your bed, and um, you don't argue the guy with bombs in his hand." Right. <laughs> so for a year, I slept over those bombs. I, mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't shake the bed much, but <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. But I, I, but for a year, I slept like that. Mm -hmm. So people didn't, uh, you know. I grew up in that era, but but because because even then, my focus was. I got to be able to help people get out of this. So what I started doing was I started helping these gangsters pass their exams. They couldn't pass exams. So they would fail year after year after year. And mm -hmm. they would just hang around school like like uh, that movie where was that guy who who's just a perpetual student and he's just hanging out and partying oh, <laughs> year yeah. after year. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so so it was like this. So what happened was I, I helped one of those uh, uh, gangster seniors pass their exam. And that guy hadn't passed in five years and he passed it. Mm -hmm. So they immediately decided that I was too valuable a person to be devoted one at a time. So they gave me a, my own room. They gave me a small staff of two or three junior students who would be my apprentices. And I started doing classes. Oh, wow. And and out of and and because I was doing classes, the word went around the gangs that no one's got to touch Ayer. He's mm -hmm. no one can touch him because he is protected. He, he, so I was the only guy who could walk all over campus without without any <laughs> worry at all because yeah. I, I was I was in demand on both sides. I had the one thing that they didn't have and which I freely gave. Mm -hmm. So that was the other thing that I learned was that if you have a skill, then and if you're willing to give it away to everyone without restricting, right, then you hold all the cards in your hand and you'll actually be allowed to rule. 
and ruling is not about control as much it is not about it is not about you actually controlling it is about the freedom to express yourself whenever you want so what if i didn't control all the guns this one all the guns in the campus would work for me just because i was their teacher right so so it 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 it, it, it you, i suddenly realized that the secret to power is not necessarily sitting on the throne mm-hmm. but standing behind the throne and enabling the throne to be the throne right <laughs> right right wow i learned so i learned that early on mm-hmm. yeah that's a power that is a powerful lesson because you you know it's like you didn't have to threat you didn't have to intimidate all you had to do was just bring value and then from exactly. there you got power off of just being a valuable person and yeah. you know in the realm of all that chaos it's like nope you can't touch him because if you do it's gonna mess all of us up and you know yeah. we're trying to get out of here so yeah that definitely makes sense <laughs> yeah and that was a principle i learned out there and i never forgot that and from then on, I have never in my life ever tried to be the king. But I've always been the minister. Right. Yeah, I mean, you found I, your I position. Ne- I never wanted to be the Tsar. I wanted to be Rasputin. <laughs> right. Right. So is that, um, you know, with that being said, is that how you journeyed into getting into medicine and, you know, like different ways of healing people? Yeah. So once I started doing that, I mean, I, well, in med school, I, I developed this skill and I started um, realizing that I could survive in the worst of situations as long as I held firmly to my core element and never forgot that. And that was to empower people. And I didn't care who it was, if it was a criminal or if it was a good person, I would still empower them. Mm -hmm. And as long as I did that, I found that I could create this bubble, this sanctuary. And the sanctuary of of wholeness in the midst of total blackness, in the midst of total darkness, there was the sense that I had lit a lamp of a sanctuary of learning. And I could do that. And I suddenly realized that this I can carry anywhere. I don't mm-hmm. need to I don't need to have the world be a good place. I just need to create my sanctuary of goodness. And then the world will automatically become good around me. Right. Right. And that's all that man. I was uh, I actually told a friend the other day is that it's you know, changing the world is a, a hell of a task, but changing your world. You could yes. definitely do that, you know, because yeah. it's like we've been people been here for millions of billions of years, however long it is. And it's just like compared to our short span of a lifetime, it's like it's really going to happen. You know what I mean? Like we're only here for such a short time. So, yeah, I definitely I could definitely understand that. And with that being said, um, you know how. Um, let me say. All right. So let's talk about the power behind evil because I feel like that is one of your focuses, right? So what is your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts? Evil evil is only goodness that has gone hungry and thirsty for a long time. 
Mm -hmm. There is, um, if you look at, uh, even, even hate is nothing but thwarted love. Uh, evil is just goodness that is starved and hungry. Mm -hmm. And if you can find the key to the most uh, really, really twisted person, you will be able to connect with that person and th that person can become good for you. And I've seen that again and again. Mm -hmm. I've seen people who had criminal histories, but they were not criminal to me ever. Right. Um, uh, because you you still had to walk uh, carefully around them. It was like uh, having a friendship with a lion. Mm -hmm. you, you you can still become prey, right? But but there is a way you can walk around them and give them the benefit of it, and you can conduct yourself such that you can actually bring them to do some good. Um, I've done that many times and uh, it has always worked out that way. So the power behind evil is one aspect is this. The second thing is when good people remain silent, mm -hmm. that really gives power to evil. Mm. So the only reason evil survives in the world, the only reason darkness exists is because no one lights a lamp. Right. If you light a lamp, darkness is eliminated just by by the fact that you light it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to chase away darkness. All you have to do is light, light a lamp. So similarly, when good people remain silent, then evil has its way. Even here in COVID, for example, there are a lot of things that have been done in the past three or four years that were the re reason why the pandemic started um, and uh, those things are now slowly coming out into the light uh, it is now very clear that this pandemic was caused by a man-made accident wow wow and so yeah so talking about that um you you do have a book called the reaper's dance talking about covid and the thousand days of covid and so Let's just go about that because there's a lot of talk about that. There's a lot of conspiracies behind COVID. Some people say it was man-made. Some people say it developed here. You know, I, I, I didn't heard it all. Now you can barely even post about COVID without there being like a fact check. And uh, it's, it's being really scrutinized um, on every social media online, you know, like when it comes to anyone talking about it. So when you said that it was man-made, is it true that it was man-made in China or like Wuhan or something like that? And it might be like a biological weapon. Uh, the question of biological weapon is, um, is in the realm of possibility, but it is not clear yet. So mm -hmm. we, we can talk about that. So first of all, uh, whatever I'm saying is not just me saying it. Uh, there are now at least three very, very solid authoritative books that have come out on this. Mm -hmm. uh, the most authoritative book is the book uh, that is co-authored by um, uh, MIT 
uh, postdoctoral fellow uh, by the name of uh, Alina Chan, a lady. And uh, her co-author is Matt Ridley from the Wall Street Journal. And these two have put out a book called Viral, which mm -hmm. is probably one of the most well-researched books. Um, the Alina and Matt Ridley's book draws heavily upon the work by a independent group of internet uh, researchers by the name of Drastic, D-R-A-S-T-I-C. Uh, it is called the Distributed Radical uh, um, group of some that uh, investigating uh, COVID origins. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that came about, about COVID was usually when you have a virus and it goes from an animal to a human, it jumps from animal to human, it does not immediately spread like wildfire because the virus, when it first comes from an animal into a human, is still figuring out how to multiply efficiently and spread in the human. Mm -hmm. So the initial spread of a virus from animal to human is sporadic. It doesn't come from an animal into a human and, and suddenly spread like, like a wildfire across a population. So it's like a dating game between a boy and a girl. Initial visits and interactions are tentative. They're feeling each other out. First it's coffee, then it's lunch, then it's then it's maybe a dinner and a movie, and before they even get to first base, second base, and you know, and the home run. Right. So so it takes a while before you get to that point. Same with the virus. The virus is figuring its its new host out and it's going through infecting the first person and the second person, adapting itself, mutating itself, and slowly adapting. It doesn't go boom, 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 and suddenly you have millions being spread out across several countries. Mm -hmm. COVID did that from day one, which made a point to people that this virus was behaving as if it was already well adapted to humans. Right. So it is not like it just came out for the first time in the Wuhan market. So these, these researchers, these investigational journals, they would not shut up and they kept on digging. And they found, and there's now authoritative publications, it's now part of congressional record, and it goes on. It's no longer in the realm of conspiracy. Um, what they found was in 2012, there was in the southern China, there was a mine called Tongguan Copper Mine. And six Chinese workers entered that uh, mine in 2012 to harvest bat guano for fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And they went into that mine without any protection to the depth of about 150 feet and started digging up all the bat guano from the mine floor. And that's really cramped environment with, with a lot of dust and bat excreta all around the place. And all six of them fell sick, really sick. Three of them died. Hmm. This was April of 2012. In, in 20, 
In 2013, scientists from the W uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology went to that same cave and they harvested nine viruses from those bats out there. Wow. That, that was April 2013. Mm -hmm. October 2013, Peter Datsak of the EcoHealth uh, Institute and the EcoHealth Alliance in New York and Shi Zheng Li of Wuhan Institute of Virology published a paper in, in Nature mm -hmm. of October 2013, where they revealed that they have identified two viruses that already had the ability to bind to humans. But they, the data that they had showed that these viruses were not super infective. You mm -hmm. had to be exposed in huge amounts to that virus before you got infected. I'll cut a long story short. Subsequently, a grant was issued to EcoHealth Institute by the NIH to study bat viruses. That grant was issued in May of 2014. And they collaborated with WVIV to, to manipulate these viruses further to see what would make it more easily transmissible. Mm -hmm. As they were doing from 2014 all the way to 2018, EcoHealth published, uh, submitted a grant proposal to the Defense uh, Advanced Research uh, Projects uh, Agency, DARPA, in 2018, mm -hmm. requesting funding, a $14 million of funding for a research project that would allow them to introduce um, sequences into these viruses that would make them more virulent. That grant was turned down uh. as too risky. But scientists do not submit grants saying that this is what they would like to do as if they were going to do it. Mm -hmm. They usually have already done it a little bit and seen that it works before they ask for money. Right. So in October 2018, when they were doing this, they were had already tried it out. In September 2019, several researchers from Wuhan Institute of Virology fell sick and got admitted. This is before the Chinese claimed that the virus ever got out. They claimed that their first cases was December. Actually, in September, there were three patients who got sick. Mm -hmm. And this is all reported by Wall Street Journal. Then, then in, on September 12th, the Wuhan Institute of Virology database that had, there was a public access database for all the world scientists to reach and to analyze, that database shut down. That database contained the sequences of every virus that Wuhan Institute of Virology had ever. Mm -hmm. And that suddenly went offline in September 12th. To this date, it has not come back online. The Chinese initially said they were doing server upgrades. Then they said they had a crash and so on and so forth. To this date, that database has not come back online. That was mm -hmm. September 12th. At around the same time, the administration of the Wuhan Institute of Virology switched from civilian control to military general. A Chinese military general took over the administration at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
at the same time in September, they brought our, in an outside consultant organization for a $606 million revamping of the ventilation and air conditioning system of the entire institute. Hmm. Why would they do that if they had not had a leak? Right. A virus got out. Right. Got made them sick. Mm-hmm. They shut down the they shut down their database. The military came in and took over, and they said we are going to clean house and they revamped their ventilation system. Wow. And then in October, the the Chinese clamped down on every hospital that was reporting cases of pneumonia Mm -hmm. until finally in November, they admitted it. And in December, they reported to the WHO that they had a pandemic. That is the story. Wow. So Now, hmm. Now, you could argue that why were these people just do manipulating these viruses? Were they just trying to see because they were stupid about, uh, they were stupidly arrogant about what they could do? Or were they trying to create something that they could immunize themselves? Those are now in the, those are, those kind of theories are speculated. Mm-hmm. Um, there is now evidence that there was, uh, push from the U.S. side as well as from the Chinese side to completely shut this down and to claim that it was not so. And even to this day, the discussions are really not being done openly and transparently. And so scientists like Alina Chan, myself, Matt Ridley, uh, Jamie Metz, um, you know, uh, Giles Demanouf, uh Monali Raholkar, the, the, we are all we are all science people. We are mm-hmm. all um, we are all highly uh, experienced professional people, and we are engaged in public health on a daily basis. We are not here to foment problems. My argument is, we need to have answers to four questions. Right. One. Why did we have a pandemic? How did it happen? That's the first question. And why do we need to know that? Because we need to know how this thing happened so that we don't get it again. Right. Second, we have to ask the question, why did once we got the pandemic, how do we how did we screw it up so badly? How did we screw up our management so badly? Mm-hmm. The third question is, what are we doing? prevent something from happening again? And the fourth question is, if it happens again and when it happens again, how are we going to manage it then? Right. So these four questions are things that we at a global level have to ask openly. And this is important for the world. Now, think about it. Right now, you in the history of the world, you have had only two major nuclear incidents, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. Total death toll from those two explosions was 250,000. This one pandemic, the death toll is 25 million. What? Yes, that's the global death toll. All right. <laughs> wow. 
All right. So this yeah. is one pandemic and we we lost 25 million people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And in, for a nuclear today, no country can engage in nuclear research and manipulation of nuclear weapons-capable research or fissionable material cannot be used or transported without checks and balances across the entire chain of custody. Mm -hmm. If you are to take a, a radioactive item from one place to another, you have that item is traced from origin to destination and reported across the board. Mm-hmm. If there is a lab in some country doing this kind of nuclear research, there is a global organization that oversees it. And they can go into a country and say, hey, you can't do research or you can't do this nuclear stuff without subjecting yourself to our checks and balances. There is no such check and balance on any of this uh, of this virus pandemic-grade research. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Right now, you have a situation where $600,000 from the NIH went to fund the research in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. And NIH is asking Wuhan Institute of Virology, give me access to your data. And Wuhan Institute of Virology is not even responding to their emails. Right. They have no rights to ask for the data. There's no enforcement. Mm-hmm. Yet our money was used. So that is your tax dollars. This is my tax dollars that went over there. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is my tax dollars that put my uncle and aunt and my staff, my staff's father in jeopardy. Right. So that's what I'm trying to talk about is that this is not conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Don't come and talk to me about conspiracy. I'm not doing some conspiracy. This All is right. simple. This is simple nuts and bolts, transparency and accountability. And that is, as a taxpaying person of this country, I have a right to ask, how are you spending my money? Mm-hmm. I have a right to ask, did you spend it appropriately? Did you right. spend it? for the wellness, for the betterment of mild safety. What safeguards did you use to protect me in the process of trying to save me from a future disease? Right. It's all It's all very nice to go around saying, oh, I'm going to go around the world hunting viruses to, the, to protect all of humanity. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to protect all of humanity, are you handling these viruses safely? Are you collaborating with people in a responsible manner. See, that is what is not being done. Right. In that, you know, that uh, proto- that uh, grant proposal that was sent to DARPA in 2018, that grant proposal was called DEFUSE, D-E-F-U-S-E, DEFUSE. That DEFUSE proposal, though it was rejected, mm-hmm allows people to have an insight into the kind of thinking that is going around in these scientists' minds. In the diffuse proposal, they actually affirm the following. One, 
that for decades they have been shipping viruses back and forth internationally between labs. Mm -hmm. They actually say that we have already have developed our ability to ship these viruses across international boundary. We have been doing so since 2006. Mm -hmm. All right. So that means for from 2006 to for 12 years, you have been doing this. Where is the transparency? Where is the records of who got to what virus? Then they also make a claim that they have 180 plus strains of pandemic capable potential viruses whose capacity for pandemic creation is not yet understood. Hmm. And they actually make that statement in that in that uh, proposal with the with the implied statement that we have more than 180 such samples which we would like to actually explore whether they can cause a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, you did that once here and it caused a pandemic. You yeah. want to do that 180 more times? That's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. That, that's what is there in yeah. the diffuse, in, and this is not conspiracy. The diffuse grant proposal is up available for review. You go and type in Google diffuse proposal. You will get it. The mm-hmm. actual proposal grant was was mined out by the by the drastic group and put up on a public server that no one can take it down, so that people can go and read it. Mm-hmm. This is the grant that DARPA rejected. But the fact that somebody is writing things like this, the fact that they are actually thinking that they can do this thing, is even more scary. Yeah. Who is watching these people? We don't know. So that is the, the these are the questions that uh, really have to be asked, mm-hmm. and they have to be asked in a responsible way. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to ask for heads to roll. Right. We are saying that hey, l- let's have an adult conversation about this. Yeah, no, it, I mean it, it all makes sense, and you're right. There's no checks and balances. There's no accountability. It's more so like, hey, it happened, and oh well. Yeah, it's like know? the Wild West. Anybody can go and do whatever. It's like yeah. Breaking Bad all over. <laughs> right. And so when it came to uh, the mass as being a preventative measure from spreading the virus, how do you feel about that? Because, you know, like going out, if you didn't have a mask, people were going crazy, you know, cussing at you. You couldn't go inside some places. Did you think that that was effective or if that was just kind of like a way to just make an excuse for people to, you know, go outside and, you know, still be capable of retrieving the virus? So uh, how do I explain this? The problem with people is they are both the people who are explaining about mass and the people who are rejecting mass are talking in black and white terms. Mm -hmm. So the mask is a barrier, but it is not a prevention. Mm -hmm. So it raises, there's something called infectious burden or inoculation burden 
before you can get a disease. There's a threshold. Mm-hmm. Let's say let's say you get one virus particle in your body. Right. You won't get disease. You get two, you won't get disease. Maybe 20, you may still not get disease. But 200, you will get. So somewhere between 20 and 200 is the tipping point where you cross the threshold for infection. Mm-hmm. This threshold for infection is not just dependent on the total number of inoculum dose, the dose of infectious agent hitting you. It is also partly dependent on your immune system capacity. Mm -hmm. So if someone who is young, very robust, for him, he has to have a higher inoculum dose to get sick. Someone who's already debilitated half a death's door, he just needs a small inoculum dose, mm-hmm. right? So if you once you understand that this is a gradient, then you can understand that, yes, when you have a mask, you have a relative barrier to getting sick that is not absolute. Right. So, so wearing a mask, can give you a little bit of margin, provided you don't challenge that margin too much. Mm-hmm. Like some example, if I wore a mask and then went into a crowded concert rave party where everyone else is non-mask, my mask ain't going to protect me one little bit because my inoculum dose is so high. Yeah. It is overwhelming it. Mm-hmm. So the the People who had authority to explain the value of a preventative measure, this mask is called non-pharmaceutical intervention (NPI). Mm-hmm. It has no; it ha- it is not a, a medicine. It is a it is a form of barrier control. So I call when I uh, during the COVID times I used to teach to my patients the three Ds of defense. One is disinfect. Mm -hmm. Second is distance. And the third is um, uh, demarcate, uh, put a barrier. Mm -hmm. So so disinfection is, you know, we we did that often in in our clinic when we were testing COVID patients. We had our PPE, but we also had spray guns, spray bottles with, with dilute disinfectant spray that we would spray each other after we treated a patient. Mm-hmm. Now, so these three things, by creating a certain amount of barrier, you reduce the inoculum burden. By putting a physical barrier, you reduce the inoculum burden and increase your chances of not getting sick. Right. So that's that's the, that's the only value, and that needed to have been explained like this, not like oh, masks are are necessary, mandatory. It's not. I mean, it gives you a barrier. The minute you the minute you start saying that you must, then there are people who are going to say, why should I? Right. So instead of saying it as you must you invite them to say, hey, this gives you a little extra chance. All right. 
give them an option to use it, but explain mm-hmm. it. Why it would give you an extra chance. Yeah, I never heard it explained like that. Like that makes a lot of sense, you know. But then even with like, even if I didn't want to wear a mask, the way you explained it by like not going around so many people, by understanding what state of health that I'm in, like if I easily get sick or if I'm not the healthiest person, I just need to like prevent going around groups of people that may have it. You know, that that makes a lot more sense to me than just wear a mask because, you know, some people think, OK, I have a mask on. I'll, I'll be OK. I could go anywhere. You know, I could do. No, anything, you can't. Like, you can't. You yeah. Can't. So you have to understand and people need to really explain it simply. Yeah. It's like, imagine so many particles of, of pollen in the air. Mm-hmm. How many particles of pollen are you going to get into your lungs before you start wheezing? On one particle, you won't. But this is what needed to have been done, and nobody did it properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I could definitely see that. So that's the whole issue. I don't. I I would never ever say. In fact, um, you could wear a face shield, and you would be just as much protected as a mask. Mm-hmm. And I actually recommend it to a lot of people to wear face shields because it's much more comfortable. It's less intrusive. Yeah. A face shield is much less intrusive. Yeah. I'll tell them to wear something like a scuba mask. That's probably <laughs> the best out of everything. But uh, <laughs> so, all right. So now going from, you know, COVID to the vaccine mandates, you know, like everybody being pushed to, Take the vaccine. If you don't have the vaccine, then you can't work. You can't come inside of sports arenas, et cetera. So was the vaccine effective or do you look at it as a way for like certain um, brands? Like I think Moderno and Pfizer. Pfizer, yeah. Yeah, Pfizer to to make a a book. Like their their stock skyrocketed during that time, you know? Mm. No, let's break break the vaccine into two sections. One is the science of the vaccine, and then the um, the business of the vaccine. So we divide right. the two together. Okay. Right. Vaccine is simply um, Does the vaccine work? The answer is that the two mRNA vaccines work very well. Mm -hmm. But are they what I call completely clean in their ability to stimulate an immune response without tipping certain groups of people into an overactive immune response? The answer is no. And the reason is twofold. The nature of this particular virus, the molecules that you are trying to get sensitized to, the vaccine basically teaches your body to recognize certain portions of the virus and attack it. Mm -hmm. So the virus, if you were to get infected, you do not recognize the virus the same way the vaccine teaches you. And that is because the virus does not show its most sensitive portion to your immune system. It hides that part. 
So it hides itself from recognition by your immune system. And as a result, this is the reason why infection does not produce a robust protection. Mm -hmm. It produces some protection, but it is not robust. Because the virus itself, the whole intact virus, when you get COVID, the virus tricks, it fools your immune system into generating nonsense antibodies, antibodies that do not really protect. Oh, wow. So it fools you. Mm -hmm. And the vaccine is engineered to get around that shielding mechanism and to present the most essential part of the virus to the immune system, which normally the immune system would not be seeing it when if it was exposed to it in the process of a regular infection. So that's the first distinction between natural immunity versus vaccine immunity. The vaccine immunity gives you a better shot at recognizing the virus in a meaningful way. Right. Now comes the problem. The molecules that the vaccine teaches you to recognize has a chance that it will recognize certain other molecules that are your own body's molecules. Mm -hmm. And therefore, there is a certain number of patients. Now, by now, you have had this vaccine distributed to millions and millions of people. Mm -hmm. So compared to the millions who did not get a bad response, there are a few thousand who develop a adverse reaction to the vaccine because they generate an immune response not only to the virus, but it also to their own body's uh, receptors. Hmm. And then they get what is known as long wax syndrome, where they they feel tired all the time and so on and so forth. Yeah. But not everyone. Mm -hmm. so, like I have gotten, I got the first two Pfizer, then I got the second, the first booster, the second booster. And just last Friday, I got the latest booster. I, I'm okay. I didn't get anything. Mm -hmm. All right. So, and I don't protect myself anymore with a with a mask or a shield or anything. I just go. To, even now, today, I tested five COVID patients, and I tested them just like I'm looking at you. And if mm -hmm. you were here, I would go and put my probe in your nose, and that's it, and go on. I didn't. I didn't mask. Mask. I didn't shield. Right. I haven't. I haven't done that for months now. Mm -hmm. And I don't get COVID. Mm -hmm. So so I do have a very robust immune response. I have tested myself and my antibody levels are through the roof. So I'm extremely well protected. Mm -hmm. But having said that, the idea of putting a vaccine mandate, uh, again, was a badly thought policy. Uh, that kind of rubbed everyone the wrong way in 2021 when it mm -hmm. first came out. In the first six months of 2021, everyone were being pushed to get a vaccine because they were desperate to open up. 
So there were so many things that needed to have been done right, and we never did it right from the beginning, from March 2020 through, you know, December 2021. We kept making mistake after mistake in the way we messaged, in the way we talked about the virus, talked about the pandemic, the way we even discussed uh, sensitive topics such as how the pandemic could have risen, mm-hmm. how we handled criticism, how we handled uh, debate, all of that was messed up again and again across the board. And I can point fingers. It's not just on the scientists who screwed up, the pol- politicians who, who, who made statements that were not really in the interest of, of, of the public. Right. They were interested more in protecting their turf and so on and so forth. So, uh, so there, there's enough blame to go around. But, but the point is for people to understand why this happened, not continue to be traumatized and, and stuck in this uh, divisive rhetoric that somehow there is some somebody is pulling a fast one on them. There right. is really no one is pulling anyone, anything on them. Now, having said that, did the two companies that came out with a land-breaking uh, vaccine, uh, did they make billions of dollars? Absolutely, they made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They, uh, but they didn't make as much money then as they did after the pandemic was declared over because uh, they gave the vaccine over to the government for just I think three dollars to four dollars a shot, mm-hmm. as opposed to the hundred and thirty dollars a shot that is now being charged. Wow, that's the cost of the. I mean, it's still being covered by insurance and so on and so forth. I didn't pay anything; my insurance right. covered. Mm-hmm. But but for people who don't have insurance, it is one hundred and thirty bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, having said that. Uh, the other big uh, thing, objection to the vaccine is, oh, this was rushed. There was not enough ru- research done. It was done in eight months. Normal vaccine takes eight years. And that is absolutely true. In the history of mankind, never never has a vaccine been generated in eight years. Right. Uh, eight months, as opposed to the normal eight years it takes. But this vaccine was not eight months in making. This vaccine was actually 40 years in making. 40 years? 40 years. Oh, there wow. Is, there is a lady by the name of Catalin Carico, a mm. Hungarian scientist, who 40 years ago started the research on generating mRNA uh, drugs. Mm-hmm. How, to cre- how to deliver a drug using an mRNA. And she was working initially with Rutgers University and then later moved to Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania. And for 40 years, she labored again and again with failure to failure, ridicule. People laughed her out of conferences. People would not even give her the time of the day. And the fact that she was Hungarian and a woman to boot with a, speaking with an accent gave rise to a whole lot of uh, negative you know, parochial stereotyping. And all of that really made her life miserable. She was Mm -hmm. denied tenure at the University of Pennsylvania. Finally, she quit UPenn to join a small company called N-Biotech in Germany. 
Mm-hmm. And you and she sat there and she and they, this company believed in mRNA technology and they started doing this. And then the N Biotech collaborated with Pfizer and they brought out a, a, a Zika virus vaccine in 2018 hmm. that cured the Zika virus infection in two uh, rhesus monkeys. That they gave the monkeys the vaccine and they, uh, the monkeys could resist Zika virus. Mm-hmm. This came out in 2018. So then the pandemic started in 2019. So everyone jumped the bandwagon and said, this is our only chance. Right. And they engineered it. So the vaccine technology was 40 years in making. Mm -hmm. Um, It came at a time, just in time for the pandemic. And so this lady, Catalin Carrico, she's going to get the Nobel Prize. Mm -hmm. She's a billionaire now because she had stock in her company uh, where she made this and she she she's now of course everyone is giving her awards and this and that and so on and so forth and uh, if you read her story it is it is amazing mm-hmm. it is an it is a it is a one uh, story of one person's single-minded pursuit of uh, against all kinds of obstruction and all kinds of, uh, you know, you talk about the military grind. This lady is the definition of military grind. A militant grind. Wow. That is, she is the definition of a militant grind. Yeah. Yeah. I'll definitely have to check her out and uh, do some research on her, on her story. Well, I'm, I'm actually learning a lot. So it's like, I feel like now America just runs with these false narratives and no one takes the time to do the research or anything. It's just like, hey, I heard about this and I'm going I'm to just go ahead and run with it. So with all this being said, what do you how do you feel about Dr. Fauci? Mixed. Mixed. Uh, he's a man who ha- has done a lot of good, but he's also been tainted in the last uh, three, four years by uh, decisions that uh, he should have done better to uh, to oversee. I don't believe he created the pandemic. He did not create the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe that he realized in January of 2020 when it first hit that mm-hmm. this pandemic was man-made and he operated in January of 2020 along with agencies in the government to shut down talk that would embarrass the U.S. government. Hmm. And he pushed, and that talk, uh, by by pushing the, the narrative towards a natural origin when it was not, and uh, it is even more evident that it is not. Um, Of course, if if somebody comes and asks me, show me the incontrovertible proof, I I would say, give me me the rights to enter the Wuhan Institute of Virology and dig through the lab notebooks. Mm -hmm. And I'll show you the incontrovertible proof. So, the fact is that uh, the critical pieces of information are being denied Mm -hmm. and not being shared. Right. And if people are saying 
that they are innocent, then they should share them. Mm -hmm. The fact that they are not does not allow us to go and say that it was came out of a fish in a wet market. It didn't come out of there. Right. Wow. Yes, yeah, a lot of deception, but I'm you know at least we boiled down to um, actually getting some of the truth you know, about it. So Fauci's problem is uh, that his entire uh, career of illustrious public service mm -hmm. was marred by one stupid decision that he made in January 2020 to try to tamp down potential uh, lab leak theory because he was worried that it will completely destroy the ability to conduct a, a sane public health response. Mm -hmm. um, if he had said that we were involved in some pandemic-related research to develop vaccines, and it is possible that that uh, some he could have easily said that we were involved in pandemic related research and mm -hmm. that the scientists in the Wuhan Institute of Virology did an unauthorized experiment under uh, unsafe conditions and he mm -hmm. could have thrown them under the bus right uh, he didn't right and that that is that is uh, that is a stain that he will never be able to live down. And so, if you were in Dr. Fauci's position, uh, what kind of preventative measures you think you would have taken if you had, you know, the power to uh, to do that? Uh, what would what would what would you have done before the pandemic or after? Yeah, the pandemic? before the pandemic. Well, before and let's just say before and after. The first thing is uh, that. Before the pandemic, grants that were being issued mm -hmm. for any manipulation of any virus, whether it was a virus capable of human infection or not, but if you are going to manipulate that virus such that that manipulation was testing its ability to become infectious or more virulent, automatically that research should be classified as 3PO research, pandemic potential research, and come under heightened scrutiny. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. The grant itself and the in experiment design needed to come under heightened review. Second, the people going to do that research, their facilities needed to come under much tighter control. Mm -hmm. This uh, Wuhan Institute of Virology was conducting pandemic-grade research in a BSL-2. A BSL-2, uh, how do I explain it? It is me wearing a simple surgical mask, gloves, a lab coat, working in a hood without where the air is not being filtered. Mm -hmm. So the air of whatever I'm generating here the only thing that is preventing is my, my breath cannot contaminate this. But whatever I'm generating here, if I'm moving things around and creating a little dust cloud, that thing can float out into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. That's a BSL too. Um, 
this kind of research should have been done in a BSL-3 or much higher, a BSL-4. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Outbreak, where they come in space suits, tethered yeah. with, with hose pipes to the ceiling, and they are walking around. That's mm -hmm. BSL-4. Mm -hmm. That's They're coming through an airlock where they are doused and disinfected coming in. That's a BSL-4. A BSL-3 is... Uh, This is oh. a <laughs> okay. This is a this is a BSL three. Mm -hmm. You know, you can see it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I I would wear I would wear wear it. I'll show you. This is how I'd wear. Mm hmm. I can't see. Oh yeah, now I can see you. So this yeah. Is mm -hmm. This is a BSL three, mm -hmm. and this goes to a to a, to a pump that right. is blowing air in. Mm -hmm. So, so that that in essence is, uh, yeah. I have a BSL three level. Uh, equipment uh, in in my clinic, mm -hmm. and uh, at the height of the pandemic, this is what we were using when we were when we did not have we were not vaccinated. We had no drug to protect us, so you know we had to go out. We used to go out into the community, into the homes of COVID patients, into the nursing homes where we had demented people who could not protect them. You can't you can't tell a demented person to wear a mask; he's not going to wear it. <laughs> right. On, on top of that, he'll fight with you. He'll punch you in the face and pull pull your mask out because mm -hmm. you're coming to trying to touch him. Right. He'll he'll think that you are some kind of a master robber, coming a bandit coming to hurt him or something. Mm -hmm. So you know when you're dealing with them, you have to wear those kind of equipment. Right. And, and so, so go ahead. Yeah. So that's a so I would th that's the level that would be required. The, the, the facility. The mm -hmm. third is oversight. Um, there needs to be far tighter oversight. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and you know, this has got nothing to do with uh, oh, we can't do that. Of course, you can do it. The way you do it is you restrict the number of labs that can do that grade of research. So if you can only oversee 10 such labs, then all of the US, there are only 10 such labs. That's mm -hmm. it. If you feel that outside the U.S., other labs will not be able to do your kind of uh, uh, stringent research, then don't collaborate with them. Right. So you know these are things that uh, you know you do that for nuclear research. You 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 regulate it very well. Mm -hmm. Why can't you do that for biological research, especially when the uh, catastrophe uh, capacity for catastrophe is uh, a thousand times more? Right. 250,000, 25 million. Where's the comparison? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially if it's a, uh, and then it's unseen. So that makes it a little worse. And so after the virus came out, um, what would you, you know, suggest that people do as far as like a preventative measure? So the first thing was leadership needed to have 
an ability to trust. Mm-hmm. So you remember uh, Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt? No, I don't. So Franklin Roosevelt was a president who was paralyzed, and he oh actually... Roosevelt, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I Roosevelt. thought you said Rosewood, yeah, Franklin Roosevelt. No, Roosevelt. Yeah. So sorry, my accent. Right. So uh, no, Franklin Roosevelt would have these fireside chats during the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and when he saw that the whole America was under threat. He unified the country by putting himself out there, front and center. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be leaders who will step forward. Right. You know, and say that, listen, this is what you need to do. And authority, not wishy-washy. No, not not like, oh, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. Mm -hmm. No, this is what you need to do. This is what we are going to do. Right. And... uh, See, in this pandemic itself, just think about it, right? For all the mixed messaging and the flawed messaging we had in the public health, yeah, that wasn't the case for warp speed. Warp speed was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You had two people, Mansaf Slawi and General, General Piles. These two people were given carte blanche. And they just stepped out and they recruited academics, they recruited industry, they recruited private and public sector, and they marshaled the most profound um, missionary to generate 300,000 doses of vaccine to go into 300,000 arms, Mm -hmm. American arms. That was the whole goal. How many, uh, sorry, was it 300,000 or 300 million? So I, what's the population? It's 300 million. Oh, yeah, 300, yeah. So they needed 300 million doses and they got 300 million doses in eight months hmm. for, for American arms. It was reserved only for American arms. Mm-hmm. And they did that. So if, so you could, you could, Fuck things up so badly here and get things right so well here. Yeah, side by side, that tells me mm-hmm. that all that was missing was leadership. Right. That was the only thing that was missing. Here you had leadership, there you had you didn't have leadership. That's it. Mm. Right. Right. Wow. That's a lot to ingest. But you know, uh, last time we went through something like this here in America, I think was the Spanish flu, like in the early uh 20th century 1918 yeah so they were wearing masks and it just seemed like we were just doing the same thing they were doing but you know it's like man if we're we have all of this technology and we're just doing that you know like all of this research you know people are a lot smarter a lot more educated but hey i guess we just got to take it as a learning lesson and you know when the next one does come which they are saying now that um, a lot of COVID-19 variants are now like appearing. So also I have friends that are nurses that told me they are seeing like an uptick in the COVID cases right now too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There is an uptick. There is COVID is a, is a, it's a nasty virus. It's not any, it's not a simple virus. Mm -hmm. It is nasty. And I am worried about, 
some of the things that it creates. But at the same time, there are certain things that we do in our clinic that has protected my patients better than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, every one of my patients, I tell them to take aspirin every day for a year. If they get COVID, take aspirin, 81 milligram baby aspirin. You can get it over the counter. You don't need to pay. You don't need a doctor's prescription for it. Mm-hmm. It's simple 81 milligrams of aspirin every day for a year. After you get, get don't even if you're feeling good, just do it for the first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, take uh, five thousand units of vitamin D every day, and vitamin D you should be taking that much every day for the rest of your life. It doesn't matter with your white, black, you know, uh, Asian, Chinese. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You just take it. It's it's good for you. Mm-hmm. There are certain um, natural compounds that are available on Amazon that you can get it. Um, Boswellia, which is a frankincense, um, devil's claw root powder, uh, some of the herbs like uh, black pepper, turmeric, ginger. Mm-hmm. All of these have very powerful anti-inflammatory capacities that uh, that are likely to protective in some respects. Because the the dominant problem in COVID is that it produces a whole body inflammation. It's when you get infected, it's like a bomb goes off. But then, after the initial fire subsides, it keeps smoldering in your body for a long time mm. and continues to do damage. So even though the virus is gone, it's it has left your body in a state of hyper alert status, yeah. and that kind of does damage just because of that. So many of these herbal anti-inflammatories are beneficial in low amounts, just one capsule a day should keep you, uh, help you recover uh, mm-hmm. and get back to whatever you're doing much faster. These are not these are not anti-COVID. They don't kill the virus. I want right. everybody to understand that. I am not re- recommending a COVID remedy I'm not ask, giving you a treatment. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you these are natural products that enhance your body's anti-inflammatory capacity. Mm-hmm. Your ability to recover after you get out of COVID. Mm-hmm. That's all. Right. Wow, this has been great. And Dr. Ravi, um, you know, yeah, you said a, <laughs> you said a great deal of a lot. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure your book is very, very, very insightful in this topic. Who we? (laughs) um, You can, I, there are a lot of books on COVID out there. mm -hmm. Um, all the books talk about the science aspect of it. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to write a story where I had the science explained in a simplistic way for people, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to actually talk about the people who were actually suffering on the ground. The, the wife who dies and leaves behind orphan children, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Real stories of uh, my own patients. Uh, all the stories there are coming out of my practice. Yeah, And uh, so that was the, the difference in the book that I wrote, The Reaper's Dance. It's available on Amazon for anybody. It's not, it costs less than a... Uh, cup of coffee in starbucks it's only 3.99 on amazon so it's, oh wow you know, 
it's not really something <laughs> that I'm I'm trying to make a money out of it because yeah. but it is it's a good read. Okay. Okay, thank you. And then in closing, um, I want to ask you just one question. When it's all said and done, when it's time for you to go on into the afterlife, how would you want to be remembered and how would you want to impact the world? I'd like to be remembered as a guy who empowered people. That's all. Wow. That's amazing. You're doing a good job of it. Doing a great (laughs) job of it. Yeah, so um, Dr. Ravi, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time and you to educate us on the COVID virus, also like the power of evil and then your origin story and also how you explain how you just doing good in your, in your world. And then to people could totally change your environment, no matter where you are, you know? So that was, this has been very, very great. That was a nice recap. You did a very good recap. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting, I'm listening, you know, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it was a, it was actually a really, really great flow on how it just ended up here, you know, cause even though there's a lot of tension about the COVID-19 virus, it's like you speaking out about it, you talking about it could potentially like spark the, you know, flame in somebody that could change, you know, the trajectory of the next virus or people could be better off, better prepared because there's nothing wrong with being, you know, educated about something that you have to go through, you know? Yeah, there's a, um, in the height of the pandemic, uh, we were feeling so much gloom and doom Mm-hmm. that uh, we decided to uh, lighten up the mood. And I'm going to just uh, see. Yeah. So let me see if I can share my screen. You're going to probably give me a chance on that. Oh, yeah. Whenever it shows up. You gotta, you gotta, I think, make me the host. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure we can. Uh, you should be. Able to. Let me see. In Zoom? Yeah, let me see what I can do. Host disabled participant screen sharing. Oh, did you? Yeah. All right, you got it now. Okay, I'm gonna, okay, good. So let me share sound, optimize for video clip, and screen and share. And can you see this? Mm-hmm. We made it like COVID buster.
Wow. So, yeah. So, was that uh, BL3? That is BSL3. BSL3. <laughs> that is BSL3. Oh, my that's God. That's what BSL3 looks like. Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a preventative me- uh, measure right there. So, for you guys listening, if you want to see what we saw, you're going to have to check out the video on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, it was, it was. We decided to create this little video just to cheer up people. We we put it up on our website. We put it up on the internet so that people. And this was at the peak on April, May, when everyone was locked down and everyone mm-hmm. was gloom and doom everywhere. So we decided to do something light-hearted, make them make people feel that you know. Yeah, you don't you don't have to be scared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, nah, definitely. Yeah, come get tested, come get cured. Yeah. You know, do it, yeah. do what you have to do to get well. Yeah, yeah, definitely understand that. Again, uh, Doctor Ravi, really appreciate your time. Um, if you guys want to find him, his website is drayer.com. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, drayer.com. Right. So you find his book, read more about him, his blog, his events, contact him, social media, everything is there. Thank you. You're very welcome.